Ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord, we're grateful for the joy we have in you and in your Son. We'd ask that you would build us up in it and in the love. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. And I, and I know you're, you've already looked at the sermon notes, and it's, say that it's why, some Christmas present, small type. This is, I think this is nine point. Okay? And tighter letting, like 10.5 than normal, to get it all on the page. And there are extra lines, and there's small type, like six point, right by the, uh, the little graph, or whatever it is, the family tree. Uh, so I apologize. I'm not going to go verse through verse. This is, you need the context to look at it. Because if you're in the habit of not bringing your Bibles, and you are, um, I sort of owe you some of the context. A little explanation, there's a yellow line down the middle, which is separating the Luke and the Matthew uh, accounts. There wasn't enough room in the one column for all of Matthew, so the portion that is the least valued to us is moved off to the side with a little yellow line, moved in for the, that's where you put it, if you can't follow the numbers of the verses. Um, you say, haven't I seen this Herod's family tree recently? Yes, you did. I don't know how many Sundays ago. For some reason, the Herods were, came up again. And I had done this family tree years ago and, and said, I, I could have given you the Anglo-Saxon kings of Wessex, which I also have, and the kings of Persia. But none of them seemed to fit the text. And Herod, the Herods did. So I, if that's uh, any confusion whatsoever. Okay. Now the reason this is in front of us is Peter Escalante and I were having a mini debate in the library the other day about the birth of Jesus Christ, which is on everybody's mind because of Christmas. And, and he was saying, you know, there are good arguments for it actually having been on December 25th. And I said, no way. And he said, way. And I said, no, I can prove it otherwise. And he said, says who? Got a little rough at that point. Um, but uh, so I was thinking about it and I was looking at the passages which I would go to to prove that Jesus wasn't born on December 25th now I know that sounds irreligious on some people's parts you know, uh, you know I've known people uh, who didn't know when their own birthday was okay I don't know when my children's birthdays are is it, the birth date is really uh, Tristan invades against all birthdays everywhere um, that's why you guys haven't been getting anything on your birthdays from Tristan who doesn't believe in birthdays now and I've told you before that Christmas like Easter like any church holiday is not part of Christianity not because it's pagan and, uh, you know, find that it's a pagan date in Saturnalia or the solstice or something was um, mattered to the ancient minds and we put the birth of Jesus there to celebrate it. This, that doesn't bother me at all. It's just that the Bible, the, the faith, did not ask us to have a church breakfast and to give each other's presents and to have a Santa Claus. Any, anything, a manger in your house. This is all just Christian culture which is fine to celebrate. We celebrate Christmas in my house because it's Western culture and it's pretty and we get to give gifts and get gifts. 
My personal interests are in cash. In case you're but it's not a Christian thing. Easter is not a Christian thing. Jesus didn't say, you know, when I'm gone, I would like you to celebrate annually my resurrection. I think it is in our hearts to do so. Every Sunday we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. So we know that. We know that going in. But some people still say, well, if we're going to celebrate it, let's make a Christian fight with the secularists over the date of Christmas. Because you, if you can't put Christ back into Christmas on the 25th of December, what can you do? And here's Evan, a conservative pastor of the gospel, suggesting, let me tell you right out, February, mid-February. That was why I was on my mind. That's not the point of the sermon. It's going to come up because that's why I'm in this passage. The passages are the section of the nativity in Matthew chapter 2 and in Luke chapter 2, one having to do with the wise men coming and the flight to Egypt for Mary Joseph and baby Jesus, and Luke having to do with the shepherds and then the presentation at the temple. Okay? Now, I have them over on the left-hand side, the first verse of Matthew 21. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, one of the things I uh, wanted to do is make a Christmas movie, or maybe a Christmas. Someone said no new Christmas hymns have been written, good ones. And I'm going to write one, but with all of the, my aberrant notions in it. So it'll happen in February. And uh, there'll be 28 wise men. And people will be looking at the screen. Hold it. What are all these wise men? There's only three. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell you how many wise men there were. Okay? There could have been three. Could have been 28. So in my movie, there are going to be 28. In February. Now we know that the Magi, the Magi are, are uh, probably Zoroastrian astrologers, priests, uh, out of Persia. Uh, who studied the stars, and, and they recognized the coming of the king in the stars. And the only thing we have, we don't know what they were looking at textually. Biblically, the only thing that we have is out of numbers. Um, I don't have, didn't have room to print it in the, um, uh, on the sheet, but it's Numbers 24. It's the prophecy of Balaam, son of Beor, who was hired by... Um, what's his face? Balak, king of Moab, to prophesy against the Jews. And he comes and he doesn't prophesy against them. But what he says, uh, this is 1440 BC, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not nigh. A star shall come forth out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. So that's the only passage where a star being equated with a kingly arrival in the Old Testament. It's kind of loose, but the Zoroastrians may have had more prophecies than we know of. <coughs> but they're <coughs> here on site coming because of this. We know that it is right on the heel. Some people suggest that since they visit Christ in a house instead of a stable, it could have been months, maybe even a year later, uh, but no, they, they're back in Nazareth within two months. 
So the, the Magi are showing up right on the heels of the shepherd showing up, just like in your nativity scene. See, there's a shepherd on this side, and there's wise men on that side. It's only three, but this is to represent the twenty-eight. Now the Luke passage is a different situation. It's the angels, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. I always like that last portion of the verse that doesn't show up on the Christmas card. You'd like to have that on the front with glittery glue that they put on there with a reindeer leaping through the snow. Peace on earth and goodwill towards men. Open the card if God's happy with you. <laughs> Changes the mood. And when the angels went away from them into the heavens, now, my wife pointed out to me the other day, and others have pointed out to me um, at other points, she says, it does never say they sang. They said. Okay, all right. Maybe in a sing-songy way. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And that's sort of what triggered my thinking when I was looking at these two sections because it's the Luke and the Matthew account. Mark and John do not give you a nativity of the Christ. Okay? Um, John is very theological. We've been looking at John 1 in the last few Sundays. And it's all been, and the word was made flesh, and the word, you know, was made to dwell among us, and John preached about him. Okay. But this is where we get our, our, our narratives that Linus says on the Peanuts special. The angels prompted the shepherds. We don't know who these guys were. They really wanted to see what was going on. The angels show up to them out where they're working. It's not like they're walking down an alley, look into a stable, and then an angel says, you know what you're looking at? No, they're off at work, being told that in the nearby city, Christ the Lord has been born. So they want to say. With the Magi showing up, Matthew, on the first column on the main section, Matthew 2, 3. When Herod the king heard this, they came to Jerusalem, these magi, and they said, hey, we're come to visit the new king. And they're at the capital city, so you'd think they would have found him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And assembling the chief priests and the scribes of the people... He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, but for from you shall come a ruler who will govern my people Israel. That's out of Micah. The reference is off on the left-hand side. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Okay? Magi show up to the king, tell him what's happened. He goes, Oh, I want to meet him too. 
I want to come worship him. The angels show up to the shepherds, say a little thing, leave. The shepherds go, hey, we want to go see what's going on. We want to see Jesus. Now, there's a difference you know in the storyline. You've heard about the slaughter of the innocents. This is Herod the Great. For your little chart, it says Herod the Great right in the middle, about an inch from the top. There's Antipater, his dad, and uh, Antipater was at first a kind of a go-to mercenary situation for the Romans as they were developing their role in Palestine. And then Herod the Great comes on, gets in good with Mark Antony and Caesar Augustus and, and creates a long, pretty long kingship. Uh, those are his five wives, one through five labeled. And uh, the various other biblical Herods that you deal with his son was Archelaus. His son was, uh, um, what's his name? Agrippa the uh, first. Uh, not Agrippa the uh, first. Uh, Antipas. Antipas and Philip. So Archelaus, Antipas, and Philip. This point in time, as we know from jumping to the chase, is 4 BC. Okay? Christ is born right up against the death of Herod. This is a very dark time in Jerusalem. The murders are, the place is awash in official blood. Herod is marching a bunch of leading rabbis into the stadium and saying, when I die, kill them so they'll have something to mourn about. Now, they don't get killed because um, his daughter keeps them from being killed after Herod dies, but he murders his wife, Mary Amney. Uh, he murders three of his sons, one right before he dies, uh, Antipater, uh, because he doesn't want him to have any power. This guy is psychotic, and his body is rotting. His health situation is just a really bad, putrefied state. He is literally, not literally as much as uh, Antipas did, you know, about how he burst open and and the maggots came out. Well, his dad similarly died, um, and it was just a very ugly and a very dark death, but he was laying waste to people around him all the time. And here, a bunch of guys, priests from the East, show up and say, hey, I heard there's a new king here. This guy, psychologically, is not ready for that. He's been killing his own family to keep that from being the case. That he slaughtered the innocents, that he would seek out very craftily where this child is born. He's on his deathbed and he's doing this. Go search diligently. I too may worship him. Now, when they heard the king, they went on their way and lo, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. 
And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. I want you to keep in mind the kind of people that are interested in Jesus. I mean, the Magi have come a long distance to give this guy presents and leave. Willing to drop all representation with meeting famous power figures. Because just a dream alone will keep them going back to Herod. Joseph himself, here on that side portion that I pulled out, and when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there till I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I have called my son. It's that night. It's quick. He is in the middle of the night, has this dream. He rises from his bed and takes them by night and gets out of town because this is, this is chase scene level. Bethlehem is just a few miles outside of Jerusalem. Herod is going to get upset. He wants to be long gone. Long enough gone. Because it's really, let me tell you where you are on the map. Because if I had a cool church, I could project a map on that wall. But I, we don't have that. So imagine Palestine. Imagine where Jerusalem is. Bethlehem is like south-southwest. Uh, a little bit, five miles maybe. It is maybe 85, 90 miles to Egypt. It's like here to Spokane. Okay? You can walk it in four days. It's not far. But you got to get a head start, get up in the middle of the night, take off, because who knows when Herod is about to order the command to destroy you, like he's destroying many people around him at the very same minute because of similar perceived plots and paranoias. They've got to be into some other country. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, was in a furious rage. No surprise. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem who were in that region, who were two years old and under according to the time which he had ascertained from the wise men. This is one of the reasons why people think it may have been a longer time between the birth and the arrival of the wise men. I just want to remind you that the wise men visited him in Bethlehem. This will be corrected as we go on. But he, so at least he's bracketing it. He's saying, I'll kill everybody under a certain age to make sure. That was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they were no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. Just like he said, you've got to get out of town because he's going to try to kill you. You can come back to town because the guy's dead. Rose took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. And when he heard that Archelaus, one of Herod the Great's sons, who was not a sterling proposition, he got replaced pretty quickly with the Roman proconsuls. Uh, Archelaus is the last uh, ethnic king of um, 
Israel before the Roman proconsuls take over the rule. So the Felixes, the Festuses, the Pontius Pilots, those guys come on when Archelaus is removed about nine years later than this uh, because so many complaints about him. When he heard that Archelaus reigned over Judah in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and dwelt in a city called Nazareth. Okay? He had been at Bethlehem until the wise men, and then off to Egypt, come back from Egypt, and then off to Nazareth. And this is why we have the Luke passage on the other side. Now this is a very different situation. The chunks that are left out are where you have to put, you have to put the Matthew passage inside the Luke passage. Okay? All that happens with the um, wise men and the runaway to Egypt happens in between uh, paragraphs in the Luke passage. Because the angels sang at the birth of the Christ, told the, the shepherds, the shepherds get up and walk into Bethlehem, and there is Jesus in a manger. He's still in the stable. When the wise men show up, he's in a house. So the, the shepherds get there first. They go off and share it with people that they know. And we get down to verse 22, and there's some verses I, maybe six or seven verses I skipped that I couldn't fit anywhere. And when the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses. Now this is what happens. The angels visit the shepherds. The shepherds visit the stable. They walk off. Eight days later, Christ is circumcised, according to the law. And then, this verse. And when the time came for their purification, that comes next. In between those two things, eight days, circumcision, and then uh, verse 22, all of the Matthew passage happens. Now, the reason we know this is because they're in Bethlehem at the beginning of both passages, and they go to Nazareth at the end of both passages. Okay? So, all the time that Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus are in Bethlehem occurs, you say, well, how long was that? Forty days. Okay? From birth to this verse 22. The reason I can say that is because in, not, where is it? Leviticus. The Lord said to Moses, chapter 12, verse 1, Say to the people of Israel, If a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean for seven days. As at the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then she shall continue for thirty-three days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch any hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary, until the days of her purifying are completed. If she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean for two weeks, as in her menstruation, and she'll continue in the blood of her purifying for 66 days. 40 days total for boy kids, 80 days total for girl kids. I'm sorry about the sexism, but there it is. We're dealing with a male child because Jesus Christ is a boy. And she's, it says here, when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, 
They brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Did it say that back in the... Um, For the, if they cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two young pigeons. Back in Leviticus. Right down the line. The sacrifice, the timing, it tells you this in Luke. He says 40 days after he's born, they show up at the temple with their turtle doves to offer a sacrifice for the purification of the BVM. That's the Blessed Virgin Mary. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And he had been revealed, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And inspired by this Spirit, he came into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do to him for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and bless God. This guy, the Holy Spirit's been talking to like three times. He's personally devout, righteous. What he wants are the answers, meaning, consolation of Israel. He knows the Messiah is coming. He doesn't know what it is. He just knows it's going to happen in his life. And kind of like Herod, there's this real eagerness for a king. The problem is, and all of us, when we decide to look for a God, we decide to say, you know, this can't all be what you think it is. It's got to be, a God has to be moving in this. A God has to be creating. A God has to be judging this for any morality to exist, for any beauty to exist. I'm looking for this God. The problem is you're posing for yourself a Herodian problem or a Simeon problem. You are either devout, wanting the consolation. And look at what he says to the parents. Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to thy people Israel. That was he was looking for. He was looking for that kind of king. Salvation Revelation to people who were in darkness. The Gentiles were in the dark. They were just pagans. The Jews had been given many revelations of God and it was going to be a glory in that it was the fulfillment of all that we were reading in these other prophecies. Isaiah and, and Micah and, and all these other things pointing to the Christ. It's a glory to Israel that the Christ would come. It was revelation to the rest of us. That's what Simeon's looking for. We, th we might think because we're looking for religion that we're looking for that kind of thing, but we might not be entirely honest with ourselves because at a certain point I was talking to someone last night who was relating about another friend, an acquaintance, who um, had been Roman Catholic, moved away from that because... It didn't seem to be working the right way, but they also didn't want to run into the arms of, you might say, personal religion, where you know 
when you know Jesus Christ because he knew that the way he was living was unacceptable to the way Jesus Christ would command it. Because when you meet a king, you got a basic Herodian problem. It's a test to find out whether or not you're king and you're festering in your own putrefaction on your bed as you die into the abyss and yet you're still grasping after you being in charge of your life and you're willing to kill anybody who questions your kingship. That's what everybody's running around in life doing. No one questioned that I'm in charge. No one questioned my truths, my motivation, my wants. Or you could be Simeon. You could, you could say, I've got the Herodian problem on my table. I know I'm meeting a king. I know one has come. I've got, you know, 28 wise men showing up going, the king has come. Or Christians singing, you know, joy to the world every year at Christmas. And we still enjoy hearing certain of those carols. And they keep declaring that Christ has come. And it's a measure of whether or not you get ticked at the Christians. You want all the baby Christians slaughtered. Maybe not that bad. You just don't want them to be as loud as they were. Or you can say, I can depart in peace now because I have seen the salvation, the consolation, the light of revelation, the glory. But even Simeon has to deal with it. Look at his father and his mother. That's Jesus' father and mother, Mary and Joseph marveled at what was said about him and Simeon blessed them and said to his Mary his mother behold this child is set for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is spoken against Simeon fully aware of the Herodian problem remember this Simeon in this moment has just come through the Herodian problem. Herod is dead, but Archelaus' son is ruling in Jerusalem where they are standing in the temple. They know how many Jews have been killed by Herod. They know what kind of crazy the Herodian family is. Everyone is going to face a fall and a rising. And, and you say, Oh, and the Blessed Virgin, who is, who is, we picture, I enjoyed the movie The Passion of the Christ uh, by Mel Gibson. I thought that was a beautiful film, pretty faithful, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But, you know, if you've watched any art history at all, you could see certain spots in the deposition from the cross. It's almost like they all fell into the posture of a Caravaggio painting. They all stood there as if, they, yeah, people in antiquity always did this. Because that's how ancient people worship. So we think of Mary in the temple. There are probably countless paintings from the pre-Renaissance and on of the presentation of the baby, of the baby Jesus in the temple. A kind of a radiance around the Blessed Virgin's face. And kind of an old guy, sort of Joseph. Simeon looks at her and says, and the sword will pierce through your own soul as well. Nobody gets out of this alive. Nobody gets out of this without the fall and rising of many. You have to face the Herodian problem. 
Simeon had already given the kingship to God. He was waiting for his Christ, his Lord, the consolation, the light, the glory. The rest of us pagan Gentiles were busy, was it saying, judges, every man doing what is right in his own eyes. And even the Blessed Virgin was finding out she wasn't all that. She was a sinner as well. Everybody tries to make the Blessed Virgin not a sinner. Uh, I don't know if you're aware, but the Immaculate Conception Doctrine of, uh, is not about the birth of Christ, it's about the birth of Mary. Immaculate Conception is that Mary was born without taint of sin, from St. Anne down to uh, Mary, so that Christ could be born of a mother who did not have original sin, so that Christ would not have original sin. Kind of complicated, nothing in the Bible about it. But she isn't that. She has to look, she has to look at her son and wonder. She has a blessed heart. God has really blessed her. But down through the ministry of Christ, She's got issues with what Christ is doing. He even pushes her claim on him away. Your mother's outside to see you. And he says, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? Is it not those who hear the word of God and do it? We know that all of us face this moment that Herod faced poorly. He was a king, really a king, and a great one, Herod the Great. At the end of his life, unable to hold his bodily functions together, he's still killing children to get away from it. So it would not happen. What what were you thinking? That you're not going to die? If I can kill these kids, I'll still have my power, but I'm going to be dead. And there was a prophetess, Anna, daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, having lived with her husband seven years from her virginity and as a widow till she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up to that very hour, she gave thanks to God and spoke of him to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So, the Christ came. We have to, uh, if we're taking anything spiritually away from this last sermon before Christmas, it's a question of whether or not his lordship, his kingship is a challenge to you and yours. Or are you already ready for the consolation? Yet no, you ran this one into a wall. And you need his kingship in your life so that your life would be run well. We have to be sure that we enjoy what we see in Christ. As a side note, you might say historic uh, curiosity. Now this is, I don't want you, someone's going to ask you, Maybe about the sermon. One of your Christian friends. What was the sermon about? I don't know this morning. Well, you know, 
he told us that the birth of Christ was in February. Now that is also true. But I want you to lead with, he told us that we shouldn't be like Herod, we should be like Simeon. Okay, got that? Work that into your brain first, then go, oh yeah, and he told us the birth of Christ was in February. Has to be, because we have 40 days between birth, right, and purification. Herod dies in that someplace. Okay? Because he's born while Herod is alive, and he is purified after Herod is dead. We know when Herod died, Josephus tells you that just before he died, there was a lunar eclipse, and a month later, there was a Passover. Okay? We know when that lunar eclipse was, 13th of March, 4 BC. We know that it's the 4 BC one because Archelaus, his son, and Philip, his son, their regnal dates that they give is 4 BC, begins in 4 BC. It's not, it's, it, there are some other theories out there. Feel free to read them. Make them bow down and weep. Okay? Now this is not a church doctrine, nor is it lose sleep over it all, but it's fun. So you look at the, the, the death of uh, Herod has to be sometime after March 13th, and a portion of that wait till purification occurred before that day. So even if he took all 40 days, they could walk to, they walk to Egypt and back easily in less than two weeks. So you got maybe 30 days, maybe all 40 you could say from maybe the 20th of March, so 20 days into February, so mid, in the first week of February. Can't be anything else. So there, neener, neener. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. Thank you for your ways of approaching your son and his birth, laying out great differences in the kinds of hearts that stood before him, the shepherds and Joseph and Mary, even the angels, Lord, declaring his greatness, his Christness. The Magi, Lord, whoever they were, Lord, bless them. But thank you for their faithfulness and their witness and how what that did to reveal Herod's evil. Help us be a ministry and a light to even those that they would be drawn to serve you as king rather than themselves. Give us a good Christmas, Lord, in your son's name. Amen.